morning. I'm Valerie and I'm one of the church members here. And the reading tonight is from John's Gospel, chapter 6. If you're looking at the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1069. If you're finding it on your phone, that's your business. Uh, it will appear here, I think, but Simeon will probably be referring to the passage later. So, John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed, sorry, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Wonderful. Um, please do keep your Bibles uh, open. We're going to be uh, looking at this passage together. Um, we're going to be also seeing some stuff at the end of um, John 6. It's been really helpful if you have that open uh, this evening. Why don't I pray as we start? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that you give it to us, that you speak to us through it. May you soften our hearts to hear what you have to say this evening. Amen. The other week, I was in central London on a Saturday evening, walking through Leicester Square and Chinatown. I'd forgotten just how busy it could get on a Saturday night there. And I'd also forgotten about all the street performers. You get musicians and musicians and other kind of entertainers who perform. A crowd will quickly form around them. They'll make a big circle and they'll block most of the streets. Now, when this happens, the crowd that comes, they haven't come into town to see this performer. 
but they just happen to be passing. But something has caught their eye, something has caught their ear, and they're intrigued. They want to see and hear more. So they stop what they're doing, and they watch. And I think we see something pretty similar in our passage this evening. A big crowd has amassed. They've seen the signs Jesus has performed. Uh, maybe the, the healing of the official son. We saw that a few weeks back. Or the invalid made able to walk. Maybe something else. But something has caught their eye and has captured their curiosity. But unlike those London street performances, this crowd doesn't disperse when the act ends. They stick around. In fact, they drop what they're doing and they start following Jesus. They've seen the signs Jesus can perform and they're amazed. But one miracle, well, that's not enough. They want to see more. Even when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee by boat, they follow him. Such is their curiosity that they will not leave this man alone. How do you come to the service this evening? Have you heard something about Jesus that has caught your eye, captured your interest, made you curious? Are you hungry to know more? If so, wonderful. My, my prayer is that you will encounter the living Jesus this evening. Perhaps if you're frank, you don't feel that at all. To be honest, you're here simply because, well, you're always here. Or someone's dragged you along. Or because it's, it's a chance to see friends and catch up. But may I encourage you too that it is good that you are here I'm sure many in the crowd that day in the passage that we have heard had similarly just kind of gone along with the crowd. They're just there. But they too were about to see what Jesus did. And so it's my prayer that you as well will encounter the living Jesus this evening. However you come tonight, why don't we just take a moment to ask God to, to grow in us a hunger, a curiosity, about Jesus. Now, Jesus, he goes up to the mountainside and sits with his disciples, but it's not long before the crowd start following him again. That's in verse 5. And there's a problem. Jesus turns to his disciple Philip and he asks him, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? See, Jesus has recognized the crowd's need. The people, they need food and not a small amount either. We get a, a glimpse of the scale um, in Philip's reply in verse 7. Take a look. He says, it would take more than half a year's wages, 200 denarii, to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. This is a large crowd. A lot of food is required. There is great need here. I wonder, what would your response to Jesus' question be? 
when he asks, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? I think I'd probably share Philip's response, which essentially boils down to, what a ludicrous question, Jesus. And I think I'd also ask, why don't they buy themselves bread? Why is it, why is it our problem? Sure, there's great need, but they can go over to the villages themselves and buy food. But how wonderful it is that Jesus doesn't think like this. He has compassion for the crowd. And it's not just some kind of tepid concern. He doesn't recognize the people's need and prescribe a a solution, off you go over there, but recognizes the people's need and provides a solution for them. See what he says in verse 6. Jesus asked Peter this only to test him, for he had in mind already what he was going to do. He's seen the people's great need and he knows what he's going to do about it. Now, at this point, Andrew, another of Jesus' disciples, brings forward a boy who has five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, when faced with the great need of the crowd, this is a truly laughable amount. As a a certain Andrew Page might say, it's hardly enough to feed me. But Andrew, as in Andrew in the passage, this is, clearly also sees this for himself. How far will these loaves go among so many, he asks. But Jesus, well, he isn't phased. He gets the disciples to make everyone sit down. There are 5,000 men there, possibly with further women and children too. Jesus stands before all of them, 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. What an image. I think we get a bit too used to this story. We're quite familiar with it. And we miss just how nuts this is. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. And then we read verse 11, which I love. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. How extraordinarily normal is that? No spell has been cast, no bread falling from the sky. Jesus just thanks God and starts passing rounds the bread. And just at that moment where you think it would run out, he carries on. Another loaf and another. All the people are fed. Jesus effortlessly provides for all the people. He's recognized the need and provided a solution, and he's not even raised a sweat doing so. A little side note, what do you make of the boy in this passage? The boy who brings and shares his packed lunch. Now, some have tried to argue that he is what this story is really about. His sharing sort of inspired the rest of the crowd and they all suddenly got their packed lunches out and started sharing as well. 
such interpreters present this uh, story as a moral lesson for us. If you all just share what we had, then there'd be enough to go around. Maybe you've heard this kind of idea before. But let me tell you, this just doesn't add up. It's simply not what any of the four Gospels tell us happens. And it doesn't match with Jesus' question of Philip. Jesus already knows what he was going to do, remember? This is a story about what Jesus does, a story where Jesus provides bread. And yet the fact remains that Jesus provides this bread using the loaves brought by a boy. Who's responsible for feeding the 5,000? Well, Jesus, definitely, without doubt. But also the boy is involved. Jesus has included him in what he is doing. He uses the little the boy has brought forwards. See, a reading of the the story of the feeding of the 5,000, where it's all about the boy, it might sound inspiring to us, but ultimately it just crushes us. Because it teaches, if you all just get your act together, then there'd be enough. Get on with it. What a burden to carry. And maybe that's how you hear it when there are times where people come up the front and say, we need you to join a team. And you think, are they just saying, if we all got our act together and joined the worship team, then suddenly we'd all have enough. But that's not what's being said this evening. And it's not how gospel ministry works. Jesus will provide everything that we need. Everything. It's, it's his ministry. It's what he does. It's his work. But don't you want to be a part of it? To be included in what he is doing? You might not feel experienced. You might not have capacity to offer much. But it's not about what we do. He does it all. It's not a case of we all draw together, then we'll have enough. Jesus has done it all. Jesus provided bread for the people. He has provided for their needs. But as we read on into verses 12 and 13, we learn that he does more than simply satisfy. He provides in extravagance. There is great Abundance. Once the people have had enough to eat, note actually in verse 11, they could eat as much as they wanted. Jesus tells his disciples to gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Doesn't that strike you as a bit odd? Why is Jesus the man who is capable of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, so concerned with the leftovers, making sure the scraps don't go to waste. Well, I think we see an answer in verse 13, which again is just a brilliant verse. So they gathered the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I think John is making a point in how he writes this. And I think Jesus is making a point in instructing the disciples to collect the leftovers. 
there are 12 baskets of leftovers from five loaves of bread. That's more than they started with. A lot more. These scraps are not going to waste. Instead, they are collected so that we can glimpse the extreme abundance in which Jesus provides. He doesn't just provide enough, just scraping through, but provides lavishly. There is great abundance. Great need has been met with great abundance. But what has happened to the crowd's curiosity? How has Jesus' provision of bread affected them and what they make of Jesus? They declare in verse 14, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And then they seek to make him king by force. What's, what's going on here? Well, they have in part recognized who Jesus is. They know their Bible. Jesus is the prophet promised in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He is the prophet who will raise up, uh, God will raise up from the Israelites and will speak through. They're also thinking of Moses, a prophet in the Old Testament, through whom God provided bread, manna to the people in the wilderness. Jesus' provision of bread for the 5,000 kind of reminds them of that and it seems to make him a Moses 2.0. So the crowd declare that Jesus is the prophet. And they're right, he is. But what they intend to do next shows they've only kind of partly got it. They want to make Jesus king by force. You see that in verse 15. They've seen the signs Jesus can perform in healing the sick. Now they've seen he can produce bread for thousands of people. Who better to be king than this man? Surely he will be the one who will deliver them from their Roman oppressors. But their desire to make Jesus king by force shows they've misunderstood what's going on with the bread. It reveals the true nature of their curiosity, which we saw at the beginning. The crowd aren't looking any further than what Jesus can do for them right here, right now. Jesus' provision reveals the crowd's worldliness. They want Jesus for his miracles. They want the sick to be healed and their physical needs met. And Jesus has shown that he can do these things. And indeed, actually, he, he loves to provide these things. But they've missed the fact that this is not principally why Jesus has come. In verse 2 and in verse 14, John uses the word sign in a place where we might be more inclined to use the word miracle. When Jesus heals the ill and provides bread for the crowd, it's not merely miraculous. It is a sign pointing to something else, pointing beyond itself. But the crowd, well, they're only interested in the signs themselves, not what they're pointing to. How does Jesus respond to the crowds trying to make him king? 
where he withdraws by himself and goes up the mountain. So what is it that the crowd have missed? What is the feeding of the 5,000 pointing to? We've reached the end of the passage that we heard read and we're kind of left wondering. This is a story that is actually in all four of the Gospels. And in Matthew, Mark and Luke, it pretty much ends here. But in John, there's this whole other section which we're going to have a slightly whistle-stop view of as we carry on. In the rest of chapter 6, we read how Jesus crosses the, the lake once again. And you won't be surprised to know that the crowd continue to follow him. When they catch up, Jesus says to them in verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So the people aren't seeking Jesus because of the signs they've seen, but because they ate the loaves and had their fill. They're looking for Jesus because he gave them bread. And now they're hungry again, and they want more bread. That's the trouble with bread. It doesn't really last very long, and it doesn't satisfy for long either. Those who eat it will go hungry again. And ultimately, however much you feed on it, you're going to die. What the people need is food that will endure to eternal life. A food that will satisfy forever. But where are they, where are they going to get it? Jesus tells them in verse 29, they need to believe the one God has sent. They need to believe the prophet. They need to believe Jesus. But the crowds are dubious. They ask in verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? The audacity. This is the crowd who have just seen him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They're asking for a sign. Oh my word. To them, the feeling of the 5,000 is little more than a kind of a parlor trick. If Jesus really is the promised prophet, if he really is Moses 2.0, then let's see it. Give us bread like Moses. We want bread coming from heaven. Jesus tells them in verse 32 that again, they've misunderstood wasn't Moses who provided them bread in the wilderness, but God. And it is God who will provide this true bread from heaven. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is 
the bread of life, the true bread of heaven. Jesus is what the feeding of the 5,000 is all about, what the sign was pointing to. This is what the crowd in their worldliness have missed. Whilst they're clamouring after bread, the next meal that will only last for a short time, stood before them is the bread, the one who will never fade and in whom is eternal life. Aren't we so often like the crowd? In the place of bread, read our other worldly needs, perhaps. Money, health, security, relationships, good things. But these things will only satisfy for a while. And ultimately, when we face death, they're not coming with us. And like the crowd, we can really treasure worldly bread. What is your bread? What worldly things are you treasuring? Where, where are you giving your time, your attention, your money? We can so easily orientate our lives around these worldly things and miss our greatest need of all. Sin, our rebellion against God, has entered the world. We are cut off from God, and now we live in the shadow of death, all of us. What good is it to store up treasure on earth if death is going to come and strip it all from us? The culture around us just teaches us to ignore this, you know? Just live your best life now. You only live once. But this doesn't get rid of the problem, it just numbs us to it, just hides it from us. We need life. We need eternal life. And this life can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must come to him, the bread of life. How do the crowd respond to Jesus' claim? They start to grumble. Verse 42 is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And they're also deeply troubled about Jesus' teaching of the bread of life and that people need to eat the bread, which Jesus claims is his flesh. The Jews argue amongst themselves in verse 52. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a pretty weird thing to say. And so in verse 60, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Cast your minds back 20 minutes. Uh, the, the curious crowd that came in their thousands, intrigued by Jesus. They follow him. They see the feeding of the 5,000. They continue to follow him but they've misunderstood and their worldly eyes have blinded them to his message and they walk away. Jesus turns to his, his close friends, his 12 disciples and says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Verse 67. Their reply, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is the choice. This is the choice we have. Do we hear Jesus' words and say, that's a hard teaching, turn our backs? Or do we say, to whom shall we go? And for the Christian, this continues to be a decision we have to make. We make it daily. Do we run to worldly things or do we run to Christ? This isn't a one-time decision. You choose to trust in Jesus and then that's it. That's not what's going on. Verse 57, take a look. It says, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Our regular daily diet needs to be the bread of life. Only then can we know eternal life. The crowds came to Jesus in curiosity and in great need. Jesus provides bread and does so with great abundance. But the crowds end up turning their back on him. Driven by their worldly eyes, they fail to see that Jesus is the bread of life. They've made their decision. What will yours be? If you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, will you come to him and recognize that chasing worldly needs and desires just won't satisfy? You need Jesus. He is the bread of life. And if you're a Christian, do you come to Jesus in daily dependence on him? Are you feeding on Jesus, who is the bread of life? We're going to spend a few moments in the quiet, just thinking about that. There's a few more questions and things to ponder on. But think now, how do we come to Jesus? Maybe a, a barrier to coming to Jesus as the bread of life is other idols, other things that we depend on. What worldly needs or treasures do we put above our need for Christ? What things have we made idols in the place of Jesus? Let us call these things to mind and repent.
and let us spend a moment in worship to Jesus. That in him we have a wonderful and secure hope. In him we have eternal life. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent Jesus to us, that you have given us the bread of life. Help us to come to him in daily dependence. May he be our strength and our joy. May we fix our hope securely on Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.